0: Hello, folks. Welcome back to All Things HEMA. This is your host Aaron Penenberg, and I'm. This is episode seven, and I'm here with Timothy Hayes. Hello, Timothy. Why, hello. Welcome to the studio. Why, thank you. You were just uh, giving me some compliments about the finishing uh, of the room and such.
1: Yeah, it looks really nice. I haven't been in here since it was completely finished up. I like the with the. I like all the decor.
0: Thanks, man. <laughs> we're surrounded by swords and pictures of swords and other antique swords, and of course. That leads us into our first sponsor, the Albion Swords you see before you.
1: Absolutely.
0: It is quite a collection, and I'm quite proud of it. Uh, Albion Swords, thanks for your um, patronage and um, your sponsorship. And I should say I'm a patron of Albion. (laughs) I said that wrong, didn't I? Anyways, um, you know, it's one of those things where you look around the room and uh, you see the Albion Swords next to the uh, historical depictions of these weapons and stuff, and just by the fact of holding an Albion sword, you can kind of glean some understanding of what these folks are up to in these images. So, again, we appreciate Albion's work and uh, their attention to detail and stuff, and um, I'm running out of room, so I might have to get another room here and dedicate that to some more swords. Right, Tim? Well, I mean, that's the only logical choice. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. also want to thank uh, Gary Lewis and Advocare. um, Specifically, the two products he recommends for HEMA practitioners specifically, the Spark and the O2 Gold, both of which are performance enhancement drinks for uh, workouts and such. Again, I've used the Spark extensively over the last, uh, shoot, probably 10 years or so, and I I really like it. It's... um, it's a very manageable dose of caffeine. You don't feel like you're, you know, gonna go out of your mind or anything like that. And uh, it has a lot of vitamins and minerals and such. So I like that a lot. You can get a hold of Gary at G Lewis. That's G L E W I S nine two two one at gmail.com, uh, and he can hook you up with some of these products. So let's get right into it because you know, in the last podcast, people uh, kind of made made it known that I just kind of cut off. And then it ended, and that's because I didn't realize I was talking for over an hour. And this particular app that I do my podcast on, which is Anchor, only allows for like hour segments. So we'll have to do like a next episode kind of thing if we go along. But, you know, I asked Tim to come in here because Tim is probably one of the... Um, more senior practitioners as far as how long we've been together training and stuff. Um, The only person I can think of that maybe, well, two people, I suppose, is maybe like Henry. uh, I've been here longer than him. (laughs) Longer than him. Longer than Henry. What about um, Ben? Angry Ben? Um, Officially...
1: Yeah. He, cause he was kind of not with us for a long time, but kind of in the fringes. Yeah. He's been, he started with you longer, but I've been more consistent longer than he has. Yeah,
0: that's true. All right. <laughs> so we'll get to know Tim a little bit now. So why don't you just tell us a little about yourself, Tim?
1: Well, uh, as you said, my name's Tim. Uh, I've been doing HEMA with you for about eight years now, maybe a little longer than that, somewhere <laughs> around there. I uh, started martial arts in general. Oh, what 25 years ago something along those lines um so I've been doing this type of activity for a very long time Uh, I work with the Winnebago County Sheriff's Office so I had experience along those lines I was in the army for a long period of time
0: Uh, you were a captain right
1: I was a captain in the army yes I did six and a half years there
0: thanks for your service
1: thank you and uh, yeah I mean been doing a lot of things had a lot of fun and
0: I think the first time
1: we met, we were still practicing in the park. We were, actually. The first time we met was actually the reason that really got me to stick with HEMA. Yeah?
0: What
1: was that? It's a story I've told before to some of the newer people, and it's one of the reasons that I really stayed with this is because I've done martial arts for 25 years. I've done a lot of different styles, kung fu, karate, taekwondo, tai chi, chun, all of these different styles, and every time I'd go to one, an instructor would come up and he'd eventually go, you can't do that. To some particular thing that I've done. And I would always go, why? And he goes, well, it's against the rules. Mm. What do you mean it's against the rules? Well, you can't do that in a tournament. Well, I don't really care about tournaments. And yeah. people who know me know that I don't really, that's not my thing. I don't care about that. Rank isn't really an important thing to me. Yeah, I we're going to
0: circle back on both of these topics. Yeah. But yeah.
1: Say, I do martial arts because I enjoy it. And it's something for me and my personal development. And... So, inevitably, I would go to that. Or another statement I would say is, well, you could hurt somebody. And I'm like, well, that's kind of the point of what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we need what's going on. And the first time we met, it was uh, you said you wanted to have a one-on-one with me to see kind of what was going on. So, we met in Pierce Park. Oh, yeah. And me being the nerd that I am, I'd read a lot about HEMA before we started. So, I came out and I kind of had a vague understanding of what was going to happen. We were doing stuff and I did something. You said, don't do that. And my initial thought was, oh, great. Here we go again, Uh right? And then I was like, "Well, why?" And you go, "Well, let me show you why." And we did and you cracked me upside the head. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay, that makes sense." <laughs> if I do that, I'm going to die. Got ah, it. And right. so that really kind of stuck with me as a, "Okay, this is actually something that means something. It's not yeah. doing it because the Some tournament, rule. yeah, the tournament says you can't do that. It's if you do that, you're probably going to die." Yeah. Okay. I can live with that. That's a good reason for not doing something along
0: those lines. I think I remember that first day, and I remember <laughs> thinking to myself, like, this guy's an animal, right? <laughs> like, you weren't out of control or anything, yeah. but I could tell that you had a pretty firm base of understanding in martial arts and, like, movement and pressure and, and this kind of stuff, so I thought, like, ooh, like, this, this is a great uh, addition to the team, right? And it's so one of those things where, like, I think at that time, we were so small, there was there was like four or five of us, maybe. maybe uh,
1: us. It was you, me, Jess, and Brian. Yeah, like four of us. We were the only ones, yeah.
0: Well, Jeremiah, occasionally. He was always in the Yeah, mix. but he was... Yeah, <laughs> right. So, it was one of those things, though, like, at the time, I needed to meet with people beforehand before I brought him into, like, a regular practice, you know, I'm using air quotes. Yeah. well, we were also ARMA at that time, too. Well, that's that's a dirty word. It in, was, In this yeah. podcast. <laughs> but, yeah, but the whole point was, but, I mean, the f- ARMA didn't have any control over who I was practicing yeah. with. The whole point was, like, I wanted people who were serious, but yet, like, fun, kind of, to be around. In other mm. words, like, I wanted to be able to get along with them. And I wanted to practice because I was still establishing, like, what I knew about martial arts, which is an ongoing process. But you know what I'm trying to say, like, I was trying to figure out, like, how we were going to run this as a group and be, like, formative in terms of that. And I needed certain personalities because, like, if we were going to be ego smashing the entire time, right, trying to prove who's tougher or whatever the case might be, that's not conducive to developing, like, a teaching style or a teaching, you know methodology of any type you know? absolutely
1: well and also at that time it was in the transition period of we were looking at leaving to begin with
0: i think that was going on yeah at the time, so that was it?
1: that was kind of ongoing so i mean your thought process at that point is hey i'm getting ready to get out of here we're going to be forming our own kind of basis so that's
0: right you asked me should i send my shit in yeah I, I had right? actually I been like,
1: approved no. by arma and everything yeah. i was getting ready to send money and you were like hold
0: hold the presses <laughs> There's some changes. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I came to the practice and you're like, you're no longer with them.
0: Oh, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't say that. That was just, you know, you were persona non grata to that organization at that point. Yeah. Well, we're no longer with those people.
1: Oh, okay. What are we doing now? (laughs) So that's kind of where we were at with that. And yeah, it was an interesting
0: time to start out with, with just a few of us. But that's an interesting segue, actually. We should talk about this for a minute. And that's what I just mentioned before about this ego thing. Mm -hmm. So... To form a club, to form a group that's trying to, like, explore martial arts in any kind of semi hierarchical type of system where you got to have, like, because there's a whole bunch of people out there trying to figure out, like, how do we form a club? How do we mechanically go about doing this, you know? Mm-hmm. And you and I have experienced many different martial arts clubs that do it many different ways. Absolutely. Um, and so there isn't like one right answer, but I have noticed that if like that democratic idea of like everybody's in charge and, you know, that that leadership role is kind of shared amongst a number of people. Yeah, I my opinion is those groups struggle primarily just because there's almost like no direction or the direction becomes like lacking specificity to some extent. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that topic.
1: Yeah, absolutely, I've I've been involved in a lot of different martial arts schools, and the ones that I've seen succeed the most are ones that have a defined leader, Mm -hmm. who have several, I guess you could call them apprentices underneath him, or co-instructors, or kind of like vice presidents, who they can say, all right, this is kind of your area, take over this but if I'm gone they're able to step into that leadership role and kind of take that as well knowing that they're not the permanent one in place right but they can kind of fill that in because as we've talked about before one person can't run a club right it's never going to happen you're going to get burnt out you're going to get tired you're going to miss a practice people are going to get upset with you because well that's when it becomes canceled.
0: tyrannical to some extent because yeah. it's like it's just one person's vision and right. we'll get into this with you Tim but like so Tim your primary area of study is what? Um I primarily study
1: sword and dagger and then the uh unarmed ring in right catch wrestling
0: which is something I I mean I don't spend a ton I mean I do a lot of wrestling right yeah. and I have a lot of wrestling background but I don't run the rest, the wrestling class right. in our club you do right right because that's where you're most passionate about so right. like I have no idea what you're doing you know what I mean so even mm-hmm. though I'm like on paper, not paper. I am the lead guy, right, in our local club. But yeah. you see how I, I form that careful kind of context. Right. It's like I'm very careful about saying, like, well, I'm not, you know, the king, right? Yeah. I might be in charge, but I'm in charge of for only certain reasons. Sure. Right. It's like I don't, I don't run your ring in class. You might run some ideas by, by me, but that's been, you know, a long time since you've done that you're you're running your thing and doing what you want to do and taking your passion forward, just like all the rest of the classes in our club, you know. I kind of specifically avoid going to some of those classes because I don't even want to color it as if, like, oh, Aaron's coming to class tonight. now well, no. he's keeping track of what I'm doing. Not that people think that, but I'm very careful of even just avoiding that feeling.
1: Oh, absolutely. And we've been together long enough now that... Yeah. I don't use you as a permission right. sound point. I use you more of a sounding board right. because it's somebody that I can come up to and go, hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking about. You're somebody who has a lot of experience in this type of area too. Right? What do you think? How is this going to work? What pitfalls do you kind of see me running into? Because right. you have a different view of where I'm coming into it with yeah. as opposed to kind of running out on myself and figuring out what those pitfalls are. You may see it ahead of time.
0: Right. Well, and even, you know, it's also I'm even careful about that too. Because when you ask me about stuff, I can tell, like, you know, people have certain beliefs or, like, interests, and they kind of are, like, careful of those things, right? Because that, that's what makes us passionate. This goes back to the question that we were asked in the last podcast about, like, hey, I'm thinking about a new source. Like, now I feel like I'm some kind of traitor, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, you're not, you know? It's, that's great. Yeah. But what I'm careful about sometimes is people ask me, and I may think... I know the answer, you know, and again, in air quotes, which is not a really thing. Right. So I'm like, you know what, Tim, just explore that. Explore it here. I'm not going to give you an opinion. Explore it. See what happens. And then you come back to me and tell me what you think. And then I'll say, okay, the opinion I was going to give you was this, that, and the other thing. Because... Your personality and your style might arrive at an entirely different conclusion, something that I hadn't experienced. Oh, absolutely. And so we would both be cheating each other out of that uh, awareness, out of that education, if I was just like, well, in my opinion, you shouldn't start with the pressure drill. You should start, you know what I mean? Sure. You should only work on hip throws and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> You know, whatever. Yeah. You know, when oh. I was teaching a like ringin class, I would spend a lot of time on like arm drags and hip throws. Yeah. You know, that's where I wanted to spend all my time, but that's not, you know, necessarily where you want to go sure. with it. And if it's Jeremiah's class, he does it all on break falls. Yes, all break falls <laughs> the entire time, because you know in Alaska that's all they do. That's absolutely yeah. Just because they gotta they gotta like break their fall because it's dangerous. We're territory. gonna receive so much hate for this. Whatever. <laughs> he deserves it. He does. <laughs> so yeah i mean it's one of those things but that's that's what like the leader right needs to be aware of needs to be most concerned about is like don't kill the passion of the people that are trying to help you build a club don't try and steer them too much let them experience things to a certain extent on their own right don't uh, try and overwhelm them with your opinions right because like you know you might have a very firm reason for those opinions, um, but you almost want to conceal that sure. to some extent because that is going to color and influence your people. So you want them to kind of have that, that singular experience on their own and then bring that to the table so you can think about it be like, oh, I never thought about it from that way. Sure.
1: Absolutely. Unless you run into issues of like gross safety issues or liability issues right. where you have to step in. Let your people explore kind of what they're, they're going to do. You it's know, funny
0: that you brought up safety now on this I thing, know. Because you're like <laughs> the safety third kind of guy. In fact, I, I, that's going to be one of the titles for this podcast. Absolutely, yeah. Safety but,
1: third. See, I'm a very safety third person, but that doesn't mean safety doesn't exist.
0: Right. Well, that's a nice way to put it. But I want to come around to that again, though, because we got to talk about you and your tournament uh, mentality and stuff. Sure. Um, <laughs> but listen, before we get into that, so we still really haven't addressed like, people who are just starting to start this thing or yeah. trying to figure it out. And I suppose... You know, the answer is like each person that's starting a, a group with the p- persons you're trying to start that group with is going to have to figure out on their own what the best formula is. If I can't imagine trying to start this with everybody of the same type of experience oh. levels and nobody really steering it, right? right? That's got to be impossible. I'm sure oh, that's very difficult.
1: Absolutely it would be. In, unless you have enough people who are comfortable with being a B personality. Yeah. Kind of enough people who are willing to be those backstage, kind of the stage master people of the guys in the shadows making all the work happen without having any of the glory. Yeah. You know, they're not the ones who want to be. Let's talk about this glory though
0: for a second. Uh, This is not the first time this has come up with this glory bit. Yeah. Is there any glory to be had in HEMA? I mean, we keep seeing, like, uh, people, you know, that come to mind uh, that are, like, putting themselves out there a lot doing stuff. Sure. You know, like, they come up with their own little YouTube videos and and talk smack about this sword and that sword and the other thing. And it's like, you know, every time I see that happen, I know the inevitable, which is they're going to come on there they're going to state some opinions that some other people are going to disagree with. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to just get themselves in this huge, you know crap storm but it's all it's like it's all good stuff yeah right like regardless of what their opinion is i appreciate the fact that they're, they're producing the material absolutely because it gives us something to talk about but like as far as like glory goes i mean no one's getting like a million dollar contract oh no in HEMA yeah. yet right who knows in fact i think the HEMA community in general we've all failed miserably in trying to attract that kind of marketable attention I don't know why. I don't know what's going on as far as, like, you look at, like, the Bohurt and the uh, the Battle Nations and all this, you know, other stuff that hasn't existed for as long as HEMA has existed mm-hmm. in terms of what we've been doing. And they're, like, you know, TV shows and all sorts of crap that's happening. I don't know if it's because it's, like, those persons that are driving it, right? So, in other words, like, do they have a ton of money and they're out going out there hiring their producers to make this stuff happen? Is it some kind of combination of this? I I actually predicted this a long time ago though, when I started seeing some of these um like battle nations, bow hurt kind of things where they're smashing the crap out of each other with axes, you know, and they're mm-hmm. denting armor and breaking bones and co- you know causing concussions. I'm like, okay, one of two things is going to happen. Either one, someone's going to die, right? And then it's going to attract a bunch of attention and it'll probably like increase their numbers anyways or like people are gonna see this and be like, this is so awesome, this is so cool, let's take an ax to the face, you know, how cool Mm -hmm. is that? You know what I mean? I see it as a
1: trend that I've I've seen across kind of all the spectrums. I'm a huge MMA fan. And starting in the early days, people were really impressed with the technical aspect of, of things that happened. I look at that more as the kind of HEMA side of things, right? You had the Gracie's early on and seeing the small guy technically outwork the big guy. As it's gone on and what we see today, is people don't want to see that anymore. Because yeah. the real technical fighters now, you have your Tyrone Woodleys, your Ben Askrens, the guys who are really technical, they are seen as boring fighters. Yeah. What people want to see are two guys stand in the middle of the ring and just slug each other. Yeah. And just see the blood and people just kind of pounding it. Which is not conducive to a fighter's health right. for longevity of a career. But that's what people want to see. That's the entertaining fight. Right. Bo Hurts, the HEMA example of that. Yeah. It's two people in armor just pounding the heck out of each other. Yeah. For a long period of time. Right. Is it technical? No. Not even a little bit, right? But it's entertaining to see two people just pound the heck out of each other.
0: I can't help but be <laughs> amazed at like what I'm going to say right now. But it's like I have these ghosts sometimes and the ghosts basically have a name and that name is John Clements, right? Oh. Um, and and for a lot of people that don't know so I was John's uh, main apprentice for many many years I spent a lot of time with him we traveled a lot you know we did a lot of stuff together and his constant message to me uh, and like his shtick I suppose in a way was that like everyone is shit all this stuff that everyone's doing is just garbage compared to the historical examples and just on and on about how this historical example this almost like unattainable, unachievable, almost unknowable level was something that we always had to remain pure to, right? And that's kinda of how he started, right? In mm-hmm. terms of like forming himself as a person that was, was pushing HEMA. Um, even though they call it like Western martial arts or whatever different gone names. But several names. Yeah. <laughs> the point is like that's that's how he kind of created his stage and that's what his pulpit really existed from, is just like spouting all this stuff constantly. And now, here we are in the future. Now he sees he's, he's associated with this TV show, which is just you know, a little ironic. Things. Well, it's super <laughs> ironic. you know, it's super ironic, but it's also I can also understand the the marketing value aspect to it, that like, well, at least there's someone out there talking about like there's a historical standard that you know, exists. The thing about these historical standards always that I constantly think about and also ties into that question that we had last episode but it's like, you know, are we doing ourselves a disservice by constantly placing this historical example on this on this pedestal and saying like here here is something beautiful, something perfect almost in our in our vision and we're constantly trying to achieve that, right? Is that something that's detrimental?
1: I'm going to receive a lot of hate for this. But you always speak your mind. So I just, do. You know, so Whatever. And it, Because my, my opinion on this is not the most popular opinion in that I believe, yes, we should have something on, a, on the pedestal of, hey, this is something we want to achieve. Because if you don't have a goal mm-hmm. in anything, if you don't have a goal, you have nothing to strive for. So you're just going to stagnate and die out. But I don't believe that the material and the skill level that was done at that time is unattainable. Yeah. I, I actually, I've seen quite a few people that are fencing today that I think if we put them back in that time period, they would compete very well with almost anybody they came in contact with yeah. fencing skill-wise. Does that mean they have the entire breadth of knowledge that these people would have had? No, probably not yet. But that doesn't mean it's not attainable to get there.
0: Well, that also, that also speaks to something else I've always thought about. And it kind of there's this commercial I talk about once in a while. I wish people would would see this commercial more before i i suppose tell this story but it's just speaks to me in terms of like what it is i'm trying to to talk about and mm-hmm. that is so there's this commercial and it's a football team American football team and what happens is like they they bring back in from from past times they bring back all the the names, like Curly Lambeau, you know, and so-and-so from the 1920s, and the, and they're in their, their old-school uniforms, so and they're black and white, right? Mm-hmm. So they're black and white persons, uh, played by actors that are representing all these names, and they put them on this, like, magical team, right? And that magical team is like, they, they prop them up and talk about all their history and all this kind of stuff. They spend a bunch of time talking about what, what great, you know, heroes they are to football, and then they like bring them forward and a professional team from our era plays them on a mock, in a mock game. And it's like, early Lambeau had the most rush, rushing yards, whatever. And then he just gets like crushed by the, the modern version of himself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just destroyed. And the final score is like 776 to like zero or something like that. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's like the modern athleticism, the modern nutrition, the modern approach, the modern materials. You know what I mean? All this oh, kind yeah. of stuff just decimates the historical example. Now, am I saying that that's true today of HEMA? No. But what I'm saying is, like, when we talk to, like, uh, Mike Sigmund from Albion, and you talk about the quality steel they're using in terms of the oh. way in which they can scientifically prove their steel, right, is significantly better yes. than historical steels. To oh, some absolutely. G- You know what I mean? All these kind of yeah. layers of quality control that goes through the process sure. of making this modern steel etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah this is the kind of thing that's in the back of my mind sometimes when i hear somebody talk like on their youtube channel or whatever about like oh this you know so and so would have been so great and would have been unstoppable and you know sometimes the fiori people kind of talk this way i think to some extent even though i'm not picking on you people <laughs> but the point is it's like yeah you know sure i'm sure these people had a lot of knowledge that's escaped us you know a lot mm-hmm. of practical information about death and, and wounds and stuff, but th- was it like a scientific study? No, I
1: don't think so. Not to the extent I think that we've made it today since HEMA started, because, I mean, you even look at how we categorize swords, right? How many names or different names do we have for swords? Yeah. Nowadays, with the Ogashat typology, you know, and everything, we've categorized everything. Yeah. Our current, since the Victorian era, our current methodology and our mindset is we need to categorize things, we need to study things, we need to label things. At the time they had sword.
0: Mm.
1: It was it was a sword, mm-hmm. right? What do you have? I have a sword. It's a sword that looks like this kind of sword, you know? And but now we have well, that's not just a sword. Yeah. That's a type twenty, that's a type, you know, whatever. That's a Isn't there like a debate
0: <laughs> going on right now about rapiers? Rapiers
1: and yeah. side swords, yeah. Um, Which is a pointless debate. Right. Because ha, ha, get it pointless? Yeah. Because uh. his, yeah. historically, it wouldn't have meant anything.
0: It's <laughs> well, would it though? You, you would have, it have it a sort. I mean, they do discuss a lot of the masters they, discuss about like the difference between like the Spanish school, right? The, sure. The this, more thrusty oriented. Uh, I mean, there's definitely these evolutions of the development of the tool, along with its
1: usage. Sure, right? absolutely, but they wouldn't have really determined like the type of sword as in the way we categorize things today to that extent to that yeah. extent they wouldn't have been that pedantic of you know hey this is exactly the type of thing you have they go hey this sword works for my cut and thrust style of you know italian bolognese fencing right so this sword is suited to that and you can see that within the typology of the time because you have the v- venetian era swords which look different than the ones that Meyer was using at the time. Well, you know? I tend then, to
0: think a lot, of, a lot of this is due to fashion mm-hmm. and cultural relevance in terms of where they're located, right? Absolutely. I, we don't spend enough time. And this is something like I think like Roger Norling and, and those guys spend a lot of time on, which is so uh, interesting Absolutely. and amazing because they're spending more time with the sword in its context for its cultural people, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of just like taking that object, removing it, being like, well, what kind of cross guard is this? How does it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, who, who gives a shit really comp- if you just take it out of its context and then examine it as a tool? Oh, sure. You have to put it back into with its people, right? And with its development and its its fashion and, you know, the, the rules and, and mores associated with its usage and wearing it. And, you know, if you could or could not have it, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. You look at things like uh, the spadroon, you mm-hmm. know, the hated
1: spadroon. Why was it developed? You know, and there are a lot of theories on how that happens and why the part of the uh, cross guard or the, the cup on the top, you know, why that has a folding flap on it and things like that. Well, fashion plays a part into this. Wearability plays a part into this. The type of training that the person going into the military that would have used. Well, that's just right. who is issuing it, right? The right. military.
0: Yeah. You know, I have a bunch of historical examples here of of swords that are antiques, and they're all military issued. Uh, weapons and yeah. you you contrast that with like uh, you know a long sword of like the thirteenth century where generally you 're not talking about like a standing military that 's being issued these things right it 's like an individual 's ability to acquire it right and where they 're getting it from creating that market of like well i 'm going to the one blacksmith in town or i 'm going to you know the one person that is his family makes these swords or whatever. The point is there's, there's quite a difference between those two worlds. Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. And you see it even when we have uh, the Yolkshot Institute
1: come here, right? They're, like this blade was re-hilted yeah. or this sword was cut down because the fashion of the time said that this is what would look better. So the guy took the family sword and he altered it to make it suit the fashion of the time.
0: The other thing is, I think we think they're fighting all the time for their lives. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, that's what we think. <laughs> and anybody who's been in combat, even in combat, knows that that's a complete...
0: Right. That's not the case. It's
1: never the case. Right.
0: It's not like a TV show or something, where it's like battle after battle after battle after battle after battle. Now, you know, did some of these people experience war? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Absolutely. But it's not like this one sword and I are going to go through like 15 battles, No, right?
1: That sword may make one or two.
0: It's going to get used up, right? It's an (laughs) an item that gets used in its process. So as it gets used, it gets damaged. As it gets damaged, it might get reformed or discarded or rehilted, like you're talking about or made into a dagger or whatever. And even in
1: that time, you're going to have the same type of issues that you have in today's period in dealing with soldiers as well. The taking of a life yeah. is not an easy thing for a human to wrap their head around and to do. Yeah. Even in today's society, it's really hard to get a professional soldier mm-hmm. to take a life on the other side of the battlefield. Many of them will shoot in the direction, but shoot way over their head or something, knowing they're never going to hit anybody. Yeah, isn't that something? Because they don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, that conscious hasn't changed. Right. It's been the same mentality all through. So the vast majority, and when I say vast majority, I mean that in the totality of the sense, these people would have never used this in anger.
0: I'll tell you, I'll tell you something, <laughs> though. That's. I think that's, that's a statement that holds true. But w- one of the things I think that's interesting about this that always colors this conversation is that um, you read these historical accounts of like prize plays and stuff, where they go up there and they are like taking each other's calves off. There's one example where somebody's fighting or something and the guy c- cleaves into the guy's leg and his calf like falls down in this big slab of of of, um, of uh, muscle, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? This slab of meat just falls off the guy and they're talking about it in this historical account of like, how crazy it was, but I think it goes back to this idea of like, these men, right, were were well known and were talked about because they were willing to do that to right. each other.
1: Yeah. That's not the norm. Exactly. And it, it goes back to what we were saying about Albion and the steel as well, yeah. right? People bring up, well, look at this example of this sword and how perfect this steel was. It's better than anything we have today. Well, that's one example. Yeah. So you have one example that just happened to work out in the perfect manner. Right and it's held on that pedestal because of what it is right you have the example of this guy his calf falls off well there's a reason it was written about yeah because it wasn't a normal thing right it was a oh my gosh kind of thing right it was a oh man this is something that doesn't happen every day kind of thing so it's written down and then Five hundred years later, we're reading this, going, "Oh, this is what happened every day."
0: Right. No, not the case. <laughs> it was
1: written down because it was out of the ordinary.
0: This is this is why sometimes also in my uh, in my seminars and stuff, when we talk about the the How, right? Yeah. The master cuts. It's like there's a line in which one of the masters talks about how you know these cuts were especially prized by masters. Well, something especially prized is not something that's done like all the time. Right. Right. So. Even though like these five strikes you should know, right? It doesn't mean you're going to only use these five strikes. That's why we have the entirety of the rest right. of the material. Well, so, it's
1: especially prized by masters.
0: Oh, yeah. Which means like, that even amongst the masters, these weren't common. Well, <laughs> and you might try to apply them right. in, in, in as many circumstances as you can, but they're not always going to be successful. I, I think the the best way in which you can apply those things is to set them up, right? Is to to figure out your opponent in such a way that you can defend yourself to to be ready to use them um, and then use them perfectly.
1: Well, the risk of using an overused statement for martial arts, it is like a chess match, right? I need to position my opponent to do something I'm wanting them to do, whether that's through setting up them to get into a guard they want or me positioning a guard to facilitate a strike that they're going to make at me. It's done in the aspect of in the moment, in this, right? Yeah. That's the only way I've ever made a master cut work is it's been done knowing what you're going to do the second you're going to do it because right. I've established it that I'm going to make you do that.
0: Well, and even there's a, there's an element of chance in there too, right? Yeah, That's absolutely. That's almost a little bit of a guess. It's a huge like risk. A, I'm pretty, <laughs> yeah, it's a risky thing, right? Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And we think of those MeisterHow at least us German practitioners, some of us to some extent, as like, oh, I, that's all—that's ol- the only thing I should be doing. No. It's like, no, if you if you think that way, then you're trying to fit the proverbial round peg in the square <laughs> hole constantly, and it's not, you know, it's not always. Or would that work? A round peg into a square hole? I Guess think it, it would probably the... work. <laughs> so it'd probably be uh, a square peg into a round hole. Yeah, but either way. When think about the <laughs> geometry involved. I'm like, wait a minute, that would work. <laughs> So, you know what I'm trying to say, though, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, you see those fighters, too, that try to do that, and they frustrate the shit out of themselves, because, as you know, and I know, someone who, you know, people who are fairly commonly uh, aware of, like, fighting strategies and principles, especially, like, for real, in air quotes again... Mm -hmm. um, just knowing a little bit about your history and knowing my history it's like you don't want to take chances when your life's hanging in the balance you want to do something that's that's going to be uh, somewhat controlled in in your in your own way. Absolutely. Right? And it, be it comes
1: down to I'm going to go back to the safety word again. Oh yeah. I know. Well, We're, we should just talk about yeah. that next. But uh I've talked about this with some of the guests we've had coming up here too in that when I fence with people that I'm not totally comfortable fencing with yet, like some like you fencing with you and several other members of our club that I've had years of experience. I kind of know yeah. your ins and outs, how you do things, and especially with new fencers, I can fence the way I do with the limited gear that I fence in because I don't fence in yeah. the big padded jackets. I basically use a sweatshirt type jacket and
0: yeah, driving me nuts. Yeah, things. really
1: thin gloves and right. my mask, and, and I do that. But I fence that way because when I go into the fight, I assume that I am taking the safety of both fighters in, into my hands. Right. So right. I'm going to assume that you are going to do the dumbest, stupidest things that you can possibly do. Yeah. And I'm going to fence you accordingly, right, in that I am taking both of our safety into my hands, right. I don't know you, I haven't fenced you a whole lot. I yeah. don't know what you're going to do,
0: right but see you're you're taking your ego right, and you're putting it on a shelf, and in its place, you're putting um safety there, right? right so safety whenever in other words, like and people who don't know Tim Hayes right and meet you and then fight you are like, "Oh my gosh, that guy's amazing, right. So in other words, like you have a set of skills that you can apply pretty much across the board. If I did pad you up like crazy, you would hate it, right? But if I did pad you up like crazy and then be like, Tim, go there and fight, you, you would be amazing. Like if you would be a very well-known tournament fighter if that was your bag. It's not your bag. So many people who come and meet you for the first time and then fight you, like Jeremy had an experience with you, right? And they're Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, that guy's great. It's like, yeah, he is very great. But but what you do so well, I think, is you take that ego piece out of it and that's like the least of your concern at that point. You're more concerned with uh, experiencing the art, right? Matching up skills, learning from each other, and then safety as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are a few people that I will fight with no gear on. You're one of those persons. I will fight you with no gear on. I'll fight Henry with no gear on, right? I'll fight, you know, a lot of our other more senior practitioners know. Jeremy came in. I fought him with no gear because we right. we both had a sense of, like, understanding for each other. It wasn't about ego, right? It no. wasn't about, like, trying to beat each other. It was about, well, let's explore our art. Yeah. And that is its own reward. And I think that is what we are seeing a lot of times when these masters are telling us about, practicing right because there's clearly certain passages that apply to practicing and then there's passages that apply to like combat right right and they they kind of don't discern the two you have to read into it there's a current uh, there's another debate going on about meyer's manuscript about his uh the art of the art of the sword the art of combat right Mm -hmm. as far as like is it a practice manual is it a, a manual about combat and war what is it and it's like it the yes. answer is yes, right? <laughs> the answer is yes. It's all those things. The one thing about that material that I think is so awesome is that it's just so complete. Mm-hmm. Right? There's just, there's just so much to it that you can use to drive your practice. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, and I'll just be honest, too. Like, I cannot understand how someone would be like, oh, I want to practice Fiori, which is like three or four sentences for each, you know, particular area of study. I just don't understand it. It's not, I, I appreciate it. I think it's beautiful. I just, when I see like, oh, I have, you know, over a thousand pages of material versus like I have three sentences, I just, when I look at that, I'm like, why would somebody want to do that and not this? I don't get it, but it's not my bag.
1: When a Fioriist that I've seen has really taken the time to, and it takes a long time to do it, I haven't seen very many who've reached this level, Mm. but they've taken the time, they've really delved into Fiore, they understand the meaning behind it, which is a lot like what we used to have with the i33 manual or whatever it's called now people didn't really kind of understand it we're getting better with that but when those people do that to that level it's beautiful
0: yeah yeah you not can, taking anything yeah, away from that you particular can style see
1: the style that they're portraying in yeah. that. it's it's beautiful the problem is most people haven't gone anywhere close to that level yeah and so they think they're doing this right but it It's not really what they're saying. It's not really what he's doing. And if you watch some of the really good people out there doing it, it doesn't look anything like what those other people are doing. Mm -hmm. You know, and part of it's because fencing is scary. Yeah. Right? Going in and even with the German mindset of achieve the bind, right? Going in. It's easy to say that. Yeah. But tell a new student, attack this person and stay there. Yeah. No, they want to swing a sword and get out because right. they don't want to be anywhere near that other blade. Right, and that's a normal mindset when it comes to fighting. You can look at that in kickboxing, tie boxing, wrestling, any of these mindsets. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons the masters, or most of the masters, have said that wrestling is the foundation of all martial arts. Right, because wrestling teaches you to stay near,
0: yeah,
1: to get close, stay near, yeah. figure out how bodies interact, figure out how all of that works. You know, and yeah. It, having done wrestling for an extended period of time it's good to have that
0: you know the other thing I'm constantly reminded of all the time is holding to the idea of this is a practice manual or this is a manual about combat what what do you gain from the firm belief that it's one or the other you know what I mean like why even why even make that argument or worry about it even it's like all right, so there's really nothing to gain by the belief in the fact that this is solely a practice manual oh. or that there's, this is solely a manual about combat. You know, there's more to gain in understanding that it's both, right? Because, you know, like there's holds of love, right? And holds of war, right? So sometimes, you know, we're going to wrestle and I'm going to mimic the fact that I'm scratching our eyeballs out. I'm not actually going to scratch your eyeballs out, right? Right. And, and so you would understand the difference. So I, to me, I guess, it's just not a mystery. I, I, don't, I don't understand where these debates <laughs> bear fruit. You I get suppose. that a lot
1: with people who want to have a firm standpoint in the ground, right? They have the firm belief of this is the way things are and they're dealing in absolutes. Well, absolutes have never changed or resolved anything. You see this scientifically through any study, right? Anybody who says that this is scientifically proven, well, they don't understand what science is. Right. Sci- There's no such thing as a proven thing in science. It's
0: Well, isn't that what science is about, Tim? I disagree with you.
1: It is about proving things, but if you're <laughs> saying it's scientifically proven, you're wrong. Because science has evolved its standpoint over years. And over the same topic, what we think is but proven today... But that's the today...
0: scientific method, right? Right. It's like yeah.
1: proving something. Right. But what we think is proven today will be disproved later. Oh.
0: Well, provided and, it's false or something.
1: Right. Or we have a difference in standpoint. You know, we, we come through and, I mean, you can just look at the egg, right? Eggs are bad for you. Eggs are good for you. Eggs are bad for well, you. It's scientifically that, proven that yeah, these are bad. And so That's scient- all
0: like political too, though.
1: It is. But scientifically, we have done this type of thing. Well, it's the same thing. If you're not willing to change your mindset and change your viewpoint based on evidence that comes through, oh, yeah. you're stuck in the mud. Right. right? It's not saying that some things aren't true and will always remain true. But it's being willing to be open to new evidence coming into you saying, hey, what I thought was true may not be true. And having studied these manuals for a long period of time, you see that over and over again. When I first started studying this stuff, I had a, well, this is a true standpoint. This is the way that it's understood. Mm. And as I've done things, you know, I started with longsword, as we all do in our club. Not necessarily all other clubs, but in our club, that's where we start with. And I learned a series of skill sets with longsword okay. that I thought to be true. Right. And then when I decided to evolve to go into sword and dagger, yeah. New information was presented to me, and it yeah. drastically altered the way that I viewed how I fenced with longsword. Yeah. So what I thought to be true, right, was modified, right. not necessarily proven
0: false. Well, but there's it just wasn't many truths, right? Yeah. There's many truths. Like so, you, you can wield a weapon in many different ways. Right. One of the things I think that's important, and that, you know, I hate to keep referring back to it, but also was talked about in the other podcast, but it's like the idea of you study one system for a while to try to root yourself into something you hold dear or Mm you hold true. And then the real development of you as a martial artist over time comes from the fact that you're now... Firm in this, and now you study something else, and then you look back at that first thing, sure. and your, your opinion's completely changed. Well, that's, what that's the masters, a
1: healthy—that's yeah. a healthy process. Well, and that's what the masters at that time did. I mean, even mm. in Meyer's manual, when you start getting into the repair, he said this is something the Italians do well. Right. Right. I've, I've learned this from these people. I've seen this from these people. We don't do this so well. Right. So he had his firm foundation of this is where our art is, which is, you see this in the back of the book, right? Yeah. It, this is the this is the art but we don't do this so good.
0: So oh, That's that's a, that's a good point you're making because like even the master who we're looking at as like, here's our, our golden ticket, here's our golden idol, even he himself is like, oh, but we're not doing this very well, so we have to kind of modify it. We have to learn from somebody yeah. else.
1: Because if you come across one of these people who do this and you've never seen it, you're gonna be in trouble.
0: Uh, yeah, well, and I've also, <laughs> I've also thought to myself, now look at that. what that mindset is saying. And actually I've, I've held this as an internal belief for a long time studying European history, is like the one thing about European culture is that it's never stagnant. It's always on the move, it's always looking to change and morph and modify, and it's actually like the exact opposite of a lot of all other cultures, which are constantly like trying to f- freeze time, right? right? And freeze development.
1: They say, we're in a good period of time. Let's just keep this going as long as we can.
0: (laughs) So it's one of those things where I'm always saying to myself, well, this is the essence of HEMA. This is the essence of what European martial arts are about. Constant evolution, constant change. Mm -hmm. And that really is what our art is. So as people say like, oh yeah, but, but what point in time can we freeze so that we can make it perfect and hold ourselves to these standards? I kind of shudder to myself and think like, Okay, like I know what you're trying to say, like this, this was a great example of a martial artist in history. Mm-hmm. But we got to be careful because even, even their own opinion, I think, was changing and morphing. I think if extent.
1: you'd have said that to them at the time, they'd have laughed
0: at you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know, Tim. And so then. listen, wait, we're at 45 minutes long now. And before we end this particular episode, because we only have a little bit of time left, I mm-hmm. want to segue now. Okay. And Tim will be back. You'll be back on the podcast many times, right? (laughs) We have these afternoons off together sometimes. So Um, you recently had a senior free scholar prize playing. I did. So Tim is our most recent senior free scholar, which basically means like Tim is now a recognized instructor, not only in my local club where he primarily has lived, right, in his martial life, but also now outside in the general HFA organization. So what do you think about that? First, congratulations! Thank you. It was an excellent prizing. <laughs> it was one of the one of the cleanest prizings I've seen in a long time, as far as your use of your techniques and stuff. And you did it not only with sword and dagger, but you did it with long swords and um, some other weapons too, right? Uh, I fought
1: primarily uh, sword alone and sword and dagger. I don't think I used any other weapons, but I fight against all weapons coming in at me. So pole weapons were used against me. Right. Long swords, sabers, small swords. Like I fight against everything, which is kind of the way that I've. Developed my study of the sword and dagger system because I've Basically been the only person in the club who studies that so if I wanted to continue refining my techniques It had to be against all of the weapons very rarely have I ever been able to fence against a like weapon set which I think has Been great for me. because yeah. it has taught me so much about the different weapon systems and how the weapon that I use is actually best utilized
0: now having gone through that experience I mean, what are your overall thoughts?
1: Uh, The experience itself is great. Um, It's one of those things where you learn a lot about yourself, what your capabilities are, and in training for it, Hmm. more so than the actual event itself, the preparation to it, or I guess the road as opposed to the destination, is where you gain the most and where you learn the most. Right? As you're prepping for it, you're trying to, foresee all these different avenues of things that can come in at you. I knew I was going to be fighting Sean with a staff, yeah, which is a daunting feat any time of the day. In other words,
0: he was going to come at you with a staff. Right. You would yeah. have your weapon. I would
1: just have my weapon system. Yeah. So in training up for it, I had to try to figure out, how do I deal with this? Mm-hmm. You know, Knowing that this was going to be something that came up, I have to kind of work around it. So the the journey of developing yourself to the point knowing what's going to come at you really helps you kind of learn what's going to happen with that. And you gain so much more from that, even more so than the actual event itself, where when the event's happening, you're kind of in the moment and just like, all right, I need to get through these people as fast as I possibly can yeah, because I'm going to be here for a long time and it's going to be exhausting. So the sooner I get them out, the better. And so you just kind of nail through everything as fast as you can. But the journey up to it's a long process. Yeah. <laughs> I think it took me two years from the time I originally wanted to start it to the actual pricing taking place.
0: You know, and that's, that's, that's something a lot of people don't really pay a lot of attention to is the preparation leading up to it, not only the mental, but certainly the physical. You know, and and getting sharpening up your techniques because, like you said, you're gonna have just a limited amount of opportunity to do. It. It's not like it's not like free play bouting, Mm-mm. where you can kind of learn on the fly and stuff. It's a it's a very specific standard that you have to meet. We have had some people fail, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where you invest that much time and energy and stuff into something you don't want to not succeed, right? So, no, I was very impressed with your performance, Tim, and, um, you know, we've talked about it many times, but it was very clean, very uh, technical, uh, and really fun to watch for that reason. Uh, Tim's a large guy, he's a big dude, so, like, when people fight you, I think they expect a certain kind of, you know, brutish activity, you know, and, and you're not that at all, you're very finesse-oriented, so good job.
1: Yeah. Well, Tim has changed quite a bit for me, I mean, when I started in that park, I was 320 pounds were you really yeah oh, wow and since then i mean i'm like 250 now so. wow
0: that's that's significant
1: <laughs> yeah so i mean it was and that happened i kind of maintained about 250 for about the last six years or so
0: well that's one thing i think too <laughs> that hema for me has been very important because it allows me to like maintain a certain amount of fitness throughout the entirety of of my life which I think is extremely important because, you know, any kind of workout program, you're like, oh, I'm real into it right now. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of dies out. Well, HEM is one of those activities that you have to have this certain base level of fitness yeah. to, to do it. Right. And so you have to be somewhat, you know, aware of that. And as I get older and I'm older than you, mm-hmm. <laughs> as I get older, uh, I see the importance of that more and more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So, well, we got to wrap it up. Um, this has been a great conversation. Um, it's been a great conversation and uh, we'll definitely have Tim back you know Tim and I just like Larry and I have really good conversations and half the time I'm like oh I wish I was recording this right now so (laughs) it's good to start the process of getting it down Um, coming up now we have our leadership conference Mm -hmm. so we'll kind of be chatting about that and stuff with some different folks but um, that's about that anything you want to say and wrap it up with
1: No, I mean, I appreciate you having me on, and I'll be back. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Tim. No problem. (laughs) Okay, people, train hard.